0: Welcome to the Rhodes Church Podcast. We are so excited to connect with you. We hope that this podcast builds your faith and that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. The Bible. We love the Bible. We're going to be talking about the Bible. That's what we do. We get excited. We get pumped about it. So if you've got them, open them up to Exodus chapter 33. <laughs> Woo! Exodus 33. Hope you're ready. Today we're going to continue our series uh, we've been in Exodus 33 for quite some time when I've been preaching, and uh, man, we're just excited about what God is showing us in Exodus chapter 3. We'll be done with it uh, at some point. How's that for exactness? <coughs> Exodus 33, I'm going to start reading in verse 12, and uh, let's see what God wants to do. It says, then Moses said to the Lord, see, You say to me, bring up this people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. If you're new... I encourage you, get on the website or download the Rhodes Church app. You can go back and watch messages. We've been on this, so I've already talked about these verses. I'm just going to read through these first ones, but we've already talked on them and expounded on them. So I encourage you, go back and watch those uh, messages on that. Verse 13, now therefore I pray, if I've found grace, this is Moses speaking back says, uh, if I found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you and that I might find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. And God says, he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Moses shoots back, well, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. Man, life application, wherever the presence of the Lord is, that's where we want to be. Lord, if your presence is not in that decision, don't let my flesh make a decision you're not in. Don't let me get upset and make a decision that the presence of God is not on. Don't let me get in a relationship the presence of God's not on. Don't let me make a financial decision that the presence of God's not on. We need to be connected to the presence of God in everything we do. Amen? That was very weak. (laughs) So he says... Verse 16, for how then will it be known, this is Moses like, how will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight except you go with us? So shall we be separate, everybody say separate, Separate. be separate your people and I from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. What will cause us to be separate from everybody else on the face of the earth It's the presence of God on our life. Now, when I say the presence of God, I'm not talking about some kind of just feeling we have, like, oh, the presence is on him. I'm not talking about that alone. That can happen. But he says that what's going to cause us to be separate is that God himself is working in and through our life. So the presence of God on our life means the fruit of the Spirit should be operating in our life. That's what's going to separate us from the world. It's not going to be that we have a better argument it's not that we can have a better argument on Facebook. Please stop the arguments on Facebook if you're a believer. Let's move on. So, what do we say? Verse 17, so the Lord said to Moses, all right, so here's where we're going to pick up today. The Lord said, I will also do this thing that you've spoken. In other words, I will be with you. I will go with you. For you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. Amen. I know you by name, so I know who you are. I know where you live. I know your address, your phone number, your Twitter handle. I know everything about you. I know you by name. Verse 18. So then Moses said, "Please, if I found grace in your sight, and you know my name, know, uh, and I know you know me by my name, he says, please show me your glory." Let's start here. Please show me your glory. The word glory here is important, but I want to look at show me first. He says, show me your glory. The word show is a Hebrew word that means to reveal something. It's like to uh, cause somebody to see something that was invisible. It's now visible. It's noticeable. It was there, but you couldn't see it, but now you can see it. Right? So it'd be like me saying, hey, there's some communion back here. You can't see it until I show you. Right? That was already there even if you couldn't see it. You seeing it didn't give it validation. It gave you validation. It didn't give it validation. Come on, that's deeper than what we're catching. What he's saying is there's things that are so real that just because we don't see them or know them or hear about them, it doesn't mean it's not real. Sometimes it brings validation to us and we go, now I know and that's good, but it did not make it more valid just because I saw it. It was still there. If I didn't show you, you could have come up and you could have looked behind there and you go, oh, it is there. Just because I told you it was there and you couldn't see it, you go, I don't believe it. I'll believe it when I see it. This is how we live. And God's asking us to walk by faith and not by So he says, show me your glory. Show me, make, it, make it revealed to me. There's that, something that I'm not noticing, I don't see, but I want to see it. Show me what? Show me your glory. All right, here's the word glory. The word glory is the Hebrew word Kabod. Kabod, I didn't say kamod, I said kabod. The word kabod in the root form of the Hebrew means weight, like W-E-I-G-H-T, not W-A-I-T. Weight, like heavy, all right? So it's talking about glory, it's literally saying weight, or in a good sense it means abundance, abounding riches. When I say riches, I'm not just talking about money, but I'm talking about if something is rich in sugar. You like take a bite of something and say, oh, that's rich. What does that mean? Does that, does that mean it has too little? Yeah. No. It means it has a lot. Abundance. glory. Oh, that cheesecake is rich. What are you saying? Let's put some sugar on top of it. No, it's got plenty. So what we talk about, the glory of God, the weight of God, think of a scale, imagine it saying God is heavy, it's who he is, it's excessive, it's an abundance. When Moses was saying, show me your glory, he wasn't just saying, show me something cool or do something for me. He's talking about the heavy honor, the majestic splendor, the high status, extraordinary amount. He's talking about something, the heaviness, the vastness, the overflowing abundance of who God is. Show me, help me see things about you that I don't notice right now. Show me the things about you I don't see. Show me the magnitude, the abundance, the overflowing majestic splendor of who you are that I don't notice. Are you catching this yet? When he says, show me your glory, he's saying, Lord, I believe there is more to you than meets the eye. I believe God's saying to you and me, there is more to him than we can see. And is our prayer to God, show me the abundant, majestic, overflowing fullness of who you are that I don't even notice. Have I limited you, God, to just some songs and some preaching and called that Christianity? I believe there's some glory to God that we haven't seen. I believe there's some glory that we've never even set our foot in. We haven't even tasted the fullness of who he is. And Moses is saying, show me the abundance of God. I hope that can be our prayer. Say, God, show me your glory. Show me the, your glory. When we take of glory, it's th- such a churchy word. Well, the glory of God's all over that place. What does that mean? Ooh. The glory. Man, the glory. You feel the glory of God? Maybe. Should I? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. What are they talking about? Just just nod your head. Yes. What does it mean? It means there's parts of God, there's an abundance overflow of God that we may not be noticing, but it's still operating. So you and I, we could pray, God, show me your glory in my business. Show me your glory in my marriage. Show me the fullness of who you are, what you're doing, that I can't even see. Show me your glory in my kid's life. Show me your glory in my workplace, Lord. I don't even see you working. I don't see you moving. But, Lord, show me the things that I'm not paying attention to. That can be our prayer. Show me your glory. It's saying, God, I believe there's more to you than meets the eye. How many of you believe there's more that God's doing in your life than you notice? There is. That's what's about to be our prayer. Lord, show me your glory. That's what Moses was saying. Show me, show me the immeasurable abundance, the extraordinary riches of your presence in my life. So God responds back. And he responds back with three I wills in verse 19. Three I wills he gives. Moses says, show me your kabod, the fullness, the weightiness of you. Show me how abundant you are. And God says, okay. Three things. First, I will. I will make all my goodness pass before you. I'll make all my goodness pass before you. The word goodness, I looked this up in the Hebrew, just means moral excellence, like the opposite of evil. Like if the devil's bad, evil, God is good. Like immeasurable good. He is moral excellence in every facet of of the word. That's good. Like there is no bad in him. He doesn't have a bad day, doesn't have a bad mood, doesn't lose it once in a while. He is the essence of moral excellence. That's God. It also means valuable, beauty. Remember, he said, I'll cause my goodness to pass before you. But I like this part. And I looked this up in several, man, several uh, different resources, I am studying this out, and all of them kept coming back to the same word over and over. I'm like, how can you describe goodness? And they all kept coming back to best. They kept saying, the best of anything. That's God. I'm like, wow, that's deep. He's the best. When he said, Moses, I'm going to cause all my goodness to pass before you. I'm going to cause all the best of me. You understand the word best, right? I joked with my, my kids growing up that they didn't understand the word best because they would tell me all the time, This is my best friend. This is my best friend. Oh, yeah, this is my best friend. I'm like, They're all different people. I'm like, How do are you guys are you guys off with this person? Or are you guys not? Oh, yeah, no, they're, they're still my best friend. How many best friends do you have? BFFs. I didn't understand this concept. You got good, you got better, and you got best. And I realize it's a thing. I'm just joking around with him. But in the context of this, best means there is no one better. There's nothing better. It's not like God brings his best and there's something else equally. He is the ultimate in everything. He's the best. He's the best way to live. He's the best one to serve. He's the best one to love us. He's just the best. So he said, I'm going to have all my goodness pass by you. He said, I'm just going to bring the best across to you. Well, that's a little bit too. When you're the best, it's not bragging. <laughs> when you're God, you're just saying, I am, is going to walk by, and he's the best. He's not trying to compete with anybody else. He's the best. He doesn't have to put somebody else down to make him feel good about himself. He's just the best. Well, won't pass my, have my goodness pass by you. Psalm 27, 13 says, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I believe God's telling us sometimes we want to give up and quit. We would have lost heart. We thought, I'm just never going to see. I'm not, I'm not going to see it change. It's not going to turn around. Nothing's going to be different. But we've got to believe. It doesn't say I would have lost heart unless I felt. It doesn't say I would have lost heart unless I saw It doesn't say, I would have lost heart unless I heard. It says, I would have lost heart unless I, unless I, we've got to believe that even though it looks like nothing's changing, nothing's going to turn around, God says, my goodness will be seen by you. Just believe it. I haven't seen anything, any goodness of the God. He said, the psalmist said, I would have lost heart, but I believed the goodness of the Lord was going to pass by in my life. I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord. I'm going to see the best. I would have given up, but I'm going to see the best. I'm going to see the best of God. I want to tell somebody you're going to see the best of God. I'm not talking about rosy life with no challenges. I'm not talking about any kind of uh, no tribulation-free life. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the best of who he is. You will see it in your life. In the midst of trouble, in the midst of dire circumstances, he will pass by your life. You will see the best of God. I don't know what it's going to look like for you. I'm not trying to pump you up with some rosy promise. I'm just telling you, the best of God will come by your life. He's the best comforter. He's the best strength. He's the best support. He's the best. I'm about to run or do something. Goodness is a fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. He said, my goodness will pass before you. My goodness will pass before you. I believe this is also prophetic. I, everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. Yes. Yeah. So when the Father, when, they're talking, when he's talking to Moses and he said, I will cause my goodness to pass before you. And if goodness means the best of God, you know what I think he was pointing to? I think he was pointing to Jesus. Yeah. I think he was saying, you know what's going to happen? My goodness, my perfection, my best is going to take on flesh and he's gonna pass before you for 33 and a half years. You're gonna see my best walking among you. Jesus was the best of the Father. He was the goodness of God in the flesh. Everything he did, everything he was, what he did while he was on the earth, it was the best of the Father in flesh form. When Philip said, hey, uh, Jesus, show us the Father. Jesus said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm walking around in fullness of the Father. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. He's the best. He's the best. My goodness will pass before you. So the second I will, that's the first one. We got to hurry. The second one, he said, I will will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. So I'm going to have my my goodness going to pass before you. Then I'm going to proclaim the name of the Lord. Proclaim the name of the Lord. What does that mean? It's a good question. Psalm 124, verse 8 says, Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Let's teach for just a moment. What does that scripture say? Jot it down. Take notes. My help is where? In, in. It's located in where? The name of the Lord. My help, your help, our help, it's got a location. It's got a place to go. It's got a place where we can find it. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Tells me where to go when I need help. When I need help, where do I go? In the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. You're like, well, what, what do you mean by name of the Lord? Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Some people are going to trust in their finances. Some people are going to trust in their jobs. Some people are going to trust in people. Some people are going to trust in whatever. But I'm going to trust in the name of the Lord. We have to put our trust in God alone. Where we get in trouble is where we put our trust in people When we trust, put our trust in people, then when people fail, our trust is broken because we put it in the wrong location. It doesn't mean I can't trust you to not steal my car or something like that. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about my ultimate trust in life, what keeps me a trustworthy person. I can't put it in people. I put it in God for safekeeping. So when people Drop the ball like we all will do. We don't jack everybody up because our trust is protected. It's in a safe place. It is in the name of the Lord our God. Amen. Proverbs chapter 18 verse 10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are, where do they run? They run into the name of the Lord. run. The righteous, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. So what is this talking about? He said, I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. When he says the name of the Lord, he's talking about who he is. The name in the Bible, when talking about a name, a name had meaning. And the name uh, represented characteristics and nature of who they were, what they stood for, and actually things that came from them, characteristics that came out of them, the name of the Lord. So he said, I will proclaim who I am before you. And he says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it, and they are safe. Let me give you some of the names of the Lord. There's, Gosh, there's dozens and dozens. I'm only going to give you a couple just to make the point. Jehovah-rohi means Shepherd the Lord our shepherd. Jehovah Shama. the Lord is present. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Jehovah Rapha means the Lord our healer. Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, our provider. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, our peace. What are we saying? He's saying that when we run into the name of the Lord, when, if I am full of anxiety, discouragement, and depression, what do I do? I run into Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, my peace. I run into that strong tower of his name, and I am safe. Why? Because of who he is, not something he will do for me, Amen. but who he is. He said, I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you so that you know who I am, so you know where to run to and you know where to hide. Some of you didn't catch that. Amen. Know where to run to, into the name of the Lord. Are you in trouble? Do you need help? Run. Into the name of the Lord. You need healing? Run into Jehovah Rapha. You need, you need righteousness? Are you, are you feel like you're lost and separated from God? Run into Jehovah Sidkenu. He is your righteousness. He's there. You feel abandoned? You feel lonely? Run into Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is present. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So he says, I'll proclaim the name of the Lord before you. Third, I will. Third, I will. He says, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. I love this scripture, this part of this I will statement, because it speaks of the will of God. He says, I will have compassion. On who I want to have compassion, I will be gracious to whom I'm to be gracious. I will. I will. So it is his will, his desire. He's saying, I will show grace and I will show compassion on whom I want to. Here's something I got out of it. You could get a number of things out of it. You study it and see what you think. But I felt like God was saying for me, make sure I'm careful not to judge what God wants to do in certain people's lives. Because everyone's encounter and interaction with God is unique unto themselves and between them and God. And if God wants to touch their life, who am I to judge them? If God wants to show compassion on a person, show grace on a person, and extend himself to a person, who am I to say anything about it? He said, I will do what I want because I am God. And if I want to touch them like that and they react like that when I touch them, what's that to do with you? You follow me. I'm having compassion on this person. I'm delivering them from things that you don't even know they're going through. I'm healing them from things that have been tormenting them all their life, And you're going to judge the reaction of how I'm having compassion on them? Who are you to make any anything- talk about that? We don't know what he's doing. We don't know why he's doing We don't know of all the human beings on the planet that Saul of Tarsus, on his way to Damascus, All of a sudden, boom, the brightness of the glory of Jesus appears, blinding him, knocking him off of his horse. And and he says, hey, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Lord, who are you? I'm the one you're persecuting. Why did he appear to Saul? Saul? Why did he not appear to Caiaphas, the high priest? I don't know. But he did. He appeared to him. He had compassion on Saul. Saul had killed people, he had persecuted people, thrown him in jail. He deserved death. Be careful. Be careful who we want to determine the outcome of their life from a justification standpoint because God says, I will have compassion on whoever I want to have compassion. I will show grace because just maybe, possibly, I don't know, the God of the universe might see something in them we haven't noticed yet. He might see the author of 14 books of the New Testament and say, wait a minute, all I'm going to do is get his attention and then he's going to be mine and he's going to serve me. I will have compassion on who I have compassion. I have grace on who I have grace. There's people we're going to see in our life, including ourselves, if we'll be honest, that do not deserve the grace of God. I don't deserve the compassion of God. I don't deserve the grace of God. I I don't deserve to be standing on this platform talking to anybody. You don't know me. You don't know who I am. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the thoughts that I've had. You don't know the things that I've done. You don't know any of that. If you did in modern day society, you would all cancel me and be out the door. Oh, what's he done? <laughs> but that's what, the, that's what matters, right? we got to be careful because I'm just thankful that God had compassion on me. I'm thankful that he showed grace to me. Let's go to the next point. I could stay there for a little while, but I'll just start crying. Too late. I went too far. Come out. of <clears throat> Thank you, Jesus. Verse 20 said, but you cannot see my face, for no one shall see me and live. And the Lord said, oh, this isn't going to make me do any better. <laughs> I mean, He's, the Lord said, oh, I love what he said to Moses. The Lord said, here is a place by me and you shall stand on the rock. He said, Moses, there's a place by me. There's a place by me And you shall stand on the rock. Now, in the natural, we could just imagine you know this interaction with God and there'd be a cliff there. And here you stand right there, I'll stand right here and you be beside me, but I think it's deeper than that. I believe the rock represents Jesus. I believe the rock that he's talking about is Jesus, the Son of God, because it says in Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 20, it says, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. There's a place by me. (laughs) Heavenly places. Far above all principality and power. How, How much above? Far above all principality. You know what that is? That is the demonic realm. Far above the enemy, all principality and power and might and dominion and every name. How many names? Come on, stay with me, folks. I'm reading the Bible. How many names? Every name. Sorry, I'm just excited. (laughs) Calm down. It's the second service and I know where I'm going. Get ahead of myself. You're supposed to be excited before you even know where we're going. Sorry, apologize. And every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. He said, Moses, there is a place By me. And he's talking about, gee, you shall stand on the rock. The rock, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. So you stand on the rock by me because he's the only one who came and paid the price on that cross and was buried for three days, resurrected, and ascended to the right hand of the Father far above anything the devil could ever do. He can't touch this. MC Hammer reference. He can't touch it. (laughs) Sit it at the right hand. But look at chapter 2, verse 6 of Ephesians says, And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So now, what do you say? Moses, there's a place by me reserved for you there's a place by me but the only way you can get this place is if you stand on the rock and i'll raise you up to sit together with jesus at the right hand so where was jesus was he below principality and power above principality and power or far above principality and power He was far above. If we're sitting together with Jesus, are we below principality and power? Are we even with principality and power? Or are we far above principality and power? If he's far above and we're sitting together, then we're far above too. When we stand on the rock and not on ourselves, we have a place by the Father. God was saying there's a place for you. There's a place, but you got to stand on the rock. you got to stand on the rock. Psalm uh, chapter 40, verse 2 This sitting in your notes. I just added this during worship. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of a miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. Anybody thankful that he picked you up out of a miry clay and said, There's a place by me on the rock. You can stand right here beside me picked me up and sent me right there where I didn't deserve to be. But by grace through faith, he gave me a spot. He gave me a place. He gave you a place. There's a place reserved with your name on it. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, how am I going to tell you this? I believe, this is my opinion, you can interpret how you want. I believe your name is written in the Lamb's book of life waiting for you to receive the call of God. And I can prove that to you in Scripture where the Bible says we will not blot their name out and there's argument on that, and you can be whatever position. But I'm just saying this. I believe that there is a place for you by God where your name is written. You've got a reserve site. It's like those reserve parking places, reserve parking for Jamie only. Well, when Jamie comes and parks there, you're like, oh, everybody else stayed away. Everybody else wanted to park there. But you had a spot. You pulled up right in it. Even if you came in at the last minute, there's a spot waiting for you. Today is the day of salvation. I don't know what's going on in your life, but there's a spot waiting for you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's got reserved parking. There's a place beside the Father. But he said, But listen now, you got to stand on the rock. Well, I'm struggling to stand. He said, But I understand, having done all to do, stand therefore, stand on Jesus. I'm He's asking us to stand. He's not asking us to step on the rock and then step off the rock. He's asking us to stand on the rock. That means to stay me. That means to hold your place. That means to put down roots and say, I'm not just going to come and go. I'm not just going to attend once in a while. I'm taking a stand. I'm going to be on the rock. I'm going to stand with Jesus. Nobody's knocking me off. These circumstances are not going to knock me off. I'm not going to get offended and get out of church. I'm not going to let this person get me out. I'm going to stand on Jesus. There's a place by God, but you've got to stand. Oh, yeah, yeah. We used to play King of the Hill. Anybody ever play King of the Hill? Yeah. Wonderful game. Wonderful game. If you've got a certain skill set, it's a wonderful game. The object of King of the Hill is to get to the top of something and stay there and not let anybody else knock you off. It's a wonderful game, <laughs> it's quite physical. Spiritual application only. We need to play king of the hill with our place by God. That no devil in hell is going to get me out of my place. I've got a place by the Father. You try and get me out. I'm kicking you out. I'm punching you out. I'm going to stay where God's told me to stay. That's what God's telling you. Stand. There's a place. I've got a place for you. I've got a place for you. Here's a place by me. And you shall stand on the rock. I'm going to get the rest later. I'll get too riled up. Here's what I felt like God was saying out of all these passages that we talked about. Let me go back to the other verse. My Bible just opens to Exodus 33, so it'll be easy. He says, show me your glory. Here's, pay attention, Mount Carmel, Carlinville, University City. I believe it should be our prayer. I believe it should be your prayer today. God, show me parts of you I don't notice. Show me things about you that I have limited myself and I can't see it, so therefore I don't believe it. But God, there is more that you can do that I'm preaching to myself right now, so just let me listen to myself. Chad, you've got to open your eyes to what God can do that's bigger than what you see possible. Show me your glory, God. It's not show me a, bu- a fuzzy feeling only. It's showing me the magnitude, the abundance of who you are, the majestic splendor of your abilities and your personhood and everything about you, God. There is more to you than I have let on. I believe that needs to be some of our prayers. And maybe you can pray that right now. You say, God, show me your glory in my marriage. Show me your glory in my business. Show me the abundance of you that I've not even dreamt possible. Show me where I've limited you down to this size when you're really this size. God, show me your glory. There's more than meets the eye. There's more than meets the eye. Then the three I wills. God's going to make his best pass before you, his goodness. We have a lot of uh, churchy uh, cliche things that are, I still believe they're true, but sometimes they get to be too familiar. Like we'll say things like, the best is yet to come. As you know, we'll put that at the end, like your signature, like Stiff Sincerely, we'll say, the best is yet to come, Chad. And sometimes we get so familiar with that that we forget that's also a biblical truth, that God's best for our life will come into our life. I didn't say trouble-free. Again, I didn't say no tribulation. I didn't say no challenges, no, no hurdles to overcome, no obstacles, no pain. I didn't say any of that, but his best... I don't need Jehovah Rapha if I don't have an issue. I don't need Jehovah Shalom if I don't have an issue. But because I have an issue, there is a best for me. Come on, can you talk to me? So it's like we we think that I've got the the pfft. sometimes it doesn't want to come out. The measure of my righteousness, the measure of my relationship with God is based on the absence of my adversity. Stop. When was, when was Christianity based on the one who has the, the least amount of problems is the best? That's what my Bible says. My Bible says that we are more than conquerors. Conquerors have to conquer. I'll pass it before you. I'll proclaim the name of the Lord. I don't know what name of the Lord you need to run into, but I promise you we all have one. Run into it today. I mean just run. We can practice, take laps around this place. I did that once. I was a runner. Really, I, that's not an accurate way to say it. I ran for somebody else. Dr. Bill Bozanski was here years ago from the Ukraine. He was in concentration camps as a little kid. Radically got touched by God, changed by God. He was here preaching. He was a fireball guy. Anybody here remember Dr. Bill Bozanski? Yeah, oh man, he was awesome. Beady little eyes. I was sitting right here, where Matt is. He was—he liked to come up and hit you, and get something, and he was punching me in the arm. Are you getting this? And he's, yes sir, yes sir. <laughs> and he—he he got back. He stepped back. He always dressed. Oh man, to the nines. He stepped back, did a little jig. Said, "I tell you what, I could just run around this place." Chad, take off. I, I don't take off. I don't. I'm kind of a big fella. You know, we don't take off. Like, so I, I did. All the, it seemed like it forever in my mind, but in a moment he said, Chad, take off. And I was like, no, 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 no. Here I go. <laughs> Came back, I was standing there going, what did I just do? What did I just do? Why did I say that? I don't know. I don't know why I said that. Because we need to run into the name of the Lord. So I'm going to start pointing at people, and I want you to take off as soon as I... <laughs> Come on, Mount Carmel. I see you. Come on, BJ. Take a lap. People ducking down in the chairs. I'm not going to do it, I promise. You're free to do it if you want. It's a good thing we don't have three services anymore. I would really get weird by the third one. The The last one. The third why will says, I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious. Maybe, maybe you've prejudged something in your heart, or maybe you've been prejudged. Sometimes we prejudge someone else and we think, I don't think they deserve compassion. I don't think they deserve grace. Sometimes we can be wrong there. You know what's one of the hardest is when we say, I don't deserve grace. I don't deserve compassion. I don't deserve to be forgiven. I can never forgive myself. I can never. I can never receive grace. And so we keep living in that reciprocal process of failure, failure, failure. And God has said, I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. Even you. I will do it even if you don't deserve it. And how he does it is he says, come here, come here. I've got a place right beside me. I've got a place reserved for you. Reserve parking at the right hand of the Father. All you have to do is stand on the rock. Would you stand with me right now? Would you stand? And just bow your heads. Come on, Mount Carmel, Carlinville, stand, bow your heads. Come, Holy Spirit. Come on, just close your eyes. I know the Holy Spirit speaking to hearts. He's that good. I'm not that good. You're not that good. But He's that good. I trust Holy Spirit. That He can take my nonsense and my mess and He can still touch people's hearts. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to give, please visit us at theroads.church. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch our latest sermons.